You know, every time I speak, I want the truth to come out. You know what I'm saying? Every time I speak, I want to shiver. You know, I don't want them to be like, they know what I'm going to say because it's polite. They know what I'm going to say. And even if I get in trouble, you know what I'm saying? That Ain't that what we're supposed to do? It's, I'm not saying I'm going to rule the world or I'm going to change the world. But I guarantee that I will spark the, the, the brain that will change the world. Anybody know who Willie Lynch was? Anybody? Raise your hand. He was a vicious slave owner in the West Indies. The slave masters in the colony of Virginia were having trouble controlling their slaves, so they sent for Mr. Lynch to teach them his methods. Keep the slave physically strong, but psychologically weak and dependent on the slave master. Keep the body, take the mind. I and every other professor on this campus are here to help you to find, take back, and keep your righteous mind. I'm your host, Montoya Smith, a.k.a. Black Socrates, along with co-host DeAsia Robinson, and welcome to the Mental Dialogue Talk Show. We are the return of intelligent radio as we ensure the free flow of opinions and push the envelope on the questions America's afraid to ask in the mainstream media. Good morning, DeAsia. Thank you, Queen, for being back in the saddle with me one more again for this morning's Mental Dialogue Talk Show. I'm excited to get into this thing as we're going to get it real street and real raw tonight. we got a returning special guest as well, uh, Sauce Garvey, a.k.a. Flying Saucers, on the line with us as well. But if you will, Queen, say hello to the truth seekers out there listening. Um, if you want to give a little bit of your background, you are the co-host of Locked and Loaded. So if you want to speak on that, please do that, Queen. But thank you for being with us. Good morning, everyone. Thank you for having me again, Montoya. Um, I am the Asia Robinson, one half of the podcast Locked and Loaded, which airs every Tuesday at 6 p.m. Central Standard Time. So you guys definitely uh, hit hit me up on Locked and Loaded. Um, and I again, I appreciate you for having me here as well, Montoya. Now, absolutely, we about to go locked and loaded, Ross. Today with this with this show, <laughs> the street life and black culture is it an unhealthy marriage? As our future guest again is Sauce Garvey, aka Flying Saucer, if you will, King. Say hello to the truth seekers out there listening. Glad to have you back on this thing again with us. Um, give a little bit of your background. You have a a background come from an, an experience standpoint whereas I just coming from, I'm going to come from an opinion standpoint on this morning's discussion question. The street life, the black culture is it an unhealthy marriage? What you got for us, King? Thank you for being with us. Peace and power with the Supreme. Right Africa, a.k.a. Styles Garvey, Flying Saucer Man, owner of Supreme's Pull Up, co-founder of Lone Star RBG, co-founder of RBG Nation. You know what I'm saying? Happy to be back on um, Mental dialogue with my boy Montoya. Uh, we in the saddle with my with my sister DeAsia. I'm ready to get it in, man. You say what's 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 the what's the, what's the topic said again? I know the topic the said how you just and, said it. Nah, absolutely not. Nah, we good. The street life and black culture is it an unhealthy marriage? That is our discussion. Oh, it's time for the some marriage council. It's time for some marriage council. <laughs> I can dig it. Yeah, <laughs> I can dig it. It's I getting ugly. <clears throat> yeah, I could dig it. I could dig it. Well, with that said, DeAsia, you've been in this saddle again with, with me many a time, so you know how we start. Uh, you know, I play around with the way I want to word the question. I, do, I put it out there a bunch of ways. We use the question as a, as a marketing 
uh, tool, if you will. I go by Black Socrates. So, again, just using the Socratic method, we like to ask the right questions and see if we can get to the right answers. Uh, before we get real deep into this morning's question, I just want to kind of get your first thought uh, when you finally saw how I kind of laid it out. I, you know, I sent it to you several ways, and I finally settled on this particular question. So uh, can you remember your first initial thought without going too deep, just the initial thought when you saw it worded that way? What came to mind for you? When I when I first saw it worded that way, um, I actually looked at it as something that is an unhealthy is an unhealthy relationship. And when I saw it worded that way, it kind of made it, it intensified the relationship that us as black people have to the street. And so it, it was something that I feel like that we definitely will have to do a lot of unpacking and get into the meats and potatoes of it all. So it was very intriguing when I first seen it act like that because I never really looked at it as like a marriage or because a lot of times with a marriage it's something that you can break away from, you can get a divorce. So when I seen it like that, I, I realized that it is something that is not necessarily Black culture is a part of black culture that we have adopted and we've made it our own. So I definitely felt like it was something intriguing. Now, absolutely. Again, our special guest here, uh, Sauce Garvey, Supreme Raw. Uh, with that, King, you say, hey, marriage, time to get some marriage counseling. So when you heard the question worded, I sent it to you several ways, and I finally settled on this one. So can you recall your first initial thought when I lined it up this way, King? So first of all, it's time. It's time to um, reevaluate the situation of this marriage. You know, it's time to really take a, a deep look and see has it devolved or evolved, or are we stagnant? You know what I'm saying? If, if we want to move forward as a culture and a people, we have to look at the things that we hold dear to us and see if it's the way we need to continue going. How has it benefited us? Is it, is, it, is it detrimental? You know what I'm saying? So it, the conversation is needed now because it, it's ugly right now in the streets, man. And it's a, a lot of different understandings and interpretations on what the code is and what we shouldn't do and what we shouldn't say and what we should do. And You know what I'm saying? So, yeah, it's, it's definitely time to have this conversation. So that's, how I, that's what I got from right on time. Nah, I love it. I love it. It is it's definitely probably we probably should have been had it if we want to be real honest with it in reference to, again, like you said, what is it that, you know, what's what's serving us? Anything, anytime that you're moving forward um, and they, like I say, even things that you deep believe deeply, sometimes as you mature, you realize, hey, you know, is that still serving me? And so to a degree, um, you know, that's kind of how I, in a sense I lined it up when I was trying to figure out how I wanted to word it. And I was like, you know what? Um, let's be real. To a degree, we, we, we're married to this thing in a way that, again, I don't know if it is healthy. So that's why we ask that question. Is it an unhealthy marriage? Uh, because, uh, you know, you know, at 47 years old, you know, I'm able to look back on it and be like, okay, hold on. You know, when I was 14, um, I can recall, um, you know, in my little country, I'm from a little one-stop light town, right? And so um, I can recall as a young man, uh, you know, growing up in the hip-hop era, I remember, you know, first getting exposed to an Eazy-E or N.W.A., which was an eye-opening, uh, or ear-opening probably experience 
um, considering where hip hop had been for me, uh, being a big hip hop fan, and I fell in love with the, the, the rage and that music and being exposed to a lifestyle I had no clue about being in a one stop like town. And um, I remember years later when I was in college, I came across this one book um, by Monster Cody. Y'all probably familiar with him, whatever, uh, famous LA Crip or whatever. And so, you know, by this time, I'm, you know, deeply involved. By the time I get to college, I'm listening to all types of hip-hop. And, you know, the best thing about our generation was there to a degree, hip-hop covered all subjects, from love to the to the killing, you know what I mean? And, and, and I say that from the standpoint that it was it was massive. And I'm not trying to put all this on hip-hop, but I want to tell this little story before we go to our first break. And so I remember reading... That book, Monster Cody, I was super intrigued by just kind of like people who live like that. Because, again, I grew up in a country town and had no clue about this gang culture and things of this nature. And so in reading that book, I remember this one particular part where he was he graduated the sixth grade. They had a sixth grade graduation, and he couldn't wait to get home after the graduation, jump out the window, get out the clothes, and the, his fellow Crip gang members put a shotgun in his hand, and he didn't know what to do with it. But they had to do a drive-by, and this young dude was in the sixth grade, so he was more happy about that moment than he was in his, during his sixth grade graduation. The way that I related to that, reading this intriguing story, which blew my mind, was I, years later, I would go back and think about that book. As I got older and through college, I was like, wow. When I was, six, was in the sixth grade in my little country town, my measurement of manhood was playing football, with older cats, and eventually the game would evolve from trying to score touchdowns to ultimately literally having to run up the middle with the ball. You had to be tough. That's how you showed that you were tough. And it made me really appreciate my country living compared to across the world, across the whole United States, there were sixth graders getting sawed-off shotguns put in their hand. And, um... You know, and it made me really appreciate my country living. Although, as I would go off to high school, go off to college, I still related to things that happened in the street, even in my country town, although it wasn't gang culture, if you will. And so, just a little opening to, um, you know, a, a big contrast in my life and this thing that we're talking about today. We all against this first break, so we're going to go to this first break. We come back. I definitely want to hear y'all thoughts on even my little story, and we're going to play a bunch of cuts that's going to absolutely relate to this morning's discussion. Uh, we, you know, we know about um, Pop Hunter, that young brother, um, being um, basically blackballed by the industry. So that's going to be a heavy part of this conversation for those out there who don't know about Pop Hunter. Just make sure you're listening to the cut. We're going to give y'all as much context as we can, and just dialogue about this morning's discussion question: the street life. And black culture is it and healthy marriage. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Mental Dialogue Talk Show, where all I ask is that you think. If you are a small business owner, do you and your accountant implement a tax strategy to pay quarterly taxes throughout the year? Or do you wait until the end of year during tax season to write off all expenses to lower your taxable income? If this is you, stop. Call Bennett Tax and Accounting today. With over 15 years of experience working with major companies, this boutique firm has opened up to show small business owners how to strategize like the major companies. 
and position themselves for growth with not only effective tax strategies, but also specializing in new business formation, bookkeeping services, cash flow management, payroll, and business evaluation to secure bank financing. Basically, all the things you need but have kept putting off. But those days are over. Bennett Tax and Accounting to the rescue. Contact them at 770-545-2145 and ask for run. Again, 770-545-2145 and let them save you from yourself. You see um, the young artist, Pop Hunter, he got the hit song out right now, but then some paperwork leaked on him at 14 years old, allegedly um, testifying on the stand about some shit. Little Uzi Vert came out, said he can't do no more songs with him. A lot of people are blackballing him now. We've obviously talked about snitches and rats on this podcast a lot. In 2020, this situation's a little interesting. No kids, 14 at the time. And now it seems like his career is already over before it started because of this situation. What do you think about everything that's going on? And is it to code to even hold a 14-year-old accountable now for that if that's the life you live? <clears throat> um, yeah, if the 14-year-old was in the streets at the time, of course he's accountable. Um, like, kids be making grown people decisions. Like, a kid could put a, a gun in his hand and kill you or kill somebody you love. That's a grown person decision. Even though their mind might not be as developed as a grown person, they're still making grown people decisions. Welcome back to the Mr. Dialogue Talk Show. I'm your host, Montoya Smith, a.k.a. Black Socrates, along with special guest co-host, DeAsia Robinson, and our special guest, Sauce Garvey. The street life in black culture, is it an unhealthy marriage? As we hear a cut about, again, the artist Pop Hunter, just to give a little more context, uh, I think he's about 19 or 20 now, and recently some paperwork came out in reference to him possibly, quote-unquote, snitching um, on someone who had killed one of his best friends uh, when he was at the age of 14. And you hear uh, one of the podcasts out here, and you hear Cassidy, if you're familiar with the rap artist Cassidy, giving a quick thought on it. Um, But before we jump right into Pop Hunter, um, just any thoughts again about uh, my my little – perspective on coming up in the country versus, uh, you know, a, a monster Cody growing up in, in the sixth grade, getting a shotgun, put in his hand. And actually, I was in high school when I read that book, if I, if, I remember, if I remember correctly. But either way, as I was reading the book, I can admit that I was so intrigued by what I was reading in that book, there was a piece of me that wished I had grew up like that. But as I got older, I was appreciative of my country living. Um, the Asia Queen, we'll start with you. Um, get your thoughts on that, Sauce Garvey, and then we'll get into the Pop Hunter situation. The, the scenario that you presented, it gives a, a, a difference in the rites of passage. Um, you were talking about being able to uh, run the football, and then the other sixth grader, his rite of passage was getting a pistol put in his hand and doing a drive-by. Um, so that speaks to the different rites of passage, and I I think that also speaks to quote unquote the OGs that's in the game and how they look at the youth and how they actually guide the youth in the street. And I think that will help us expound on the 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 what's the young man's name? Pop Hunter. Pop Hunter. Yeah, help us expound on that particular situation because I think. 
one thing we have to address is the right the right of passage. Also, we have to address the 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 code and the different levels of the codes, and then what it means to actually be a snitch and what type of scenarios speak to someone that is actually a snitch versus someone that is a witness to a situation. So um, that that particular scenario is a segue into expounding on the Pop Hunter situation as well. Absolutely. Sauce Garvey, what you got for us, King? Uh, you know, it's an unfortunate situation. And uh, I understand both sides of the equation, you know. Uh, a lot of our youth, they, they, they get involved into the, the streets early. And once you make that conscious decision to get in there, you know, you got to go by the street rules. Uh, but then on the other hand, I, I I don't think everything is black and white. It got to be some gray area when dealing with our people in certain situations because it's a it's a it's a it's a it's a complicated situation we be in, man. And uh, do you want to listen to your parents or do you want to listen to the OGs on the street? And we have to ask ourselves, especially the OGs, you know, what are we what are we what message are we telling our children? Listen to me or listen to your parents, man. And I think a lot of this shit is bullshit. I'm just gonna be honest, man. You know, uh I I, I go by the code, I've I've lived by the code, I've done time, I've stuck to the code. But like you say, man, we, we we need an honest evaluation of this shit, man. You know, at one time we held close to our religious beliefs. We swore up and down by the Bible and Quran. This is it. This is this is ain't nothing else is what I go by. But when you go further in life and, and you get new information, man, you gotta reevaluate that shit. You know? Nah, that's that's real. And and, and then again again you you coming and having that experience, again, I'm just kinda coming with my opinion, but also just talking about even the distinction when we say the street life and black culture, um, you know, even in promoting it just talking about the, the fascination that, of a kid like myself who grew up in the country and, you know, unfortunately, gunplay eventually did enter our little small country streets, if you will. Uh, you know, by the time I was a senior in high school, I can vividly remember um, the transition. Um, I was still fortunate enough that, that you know, quote-unquote, getting a fair one was easy in the country. That was an understood thing. I, I remember uh, one time getting into it with the kid, and the kid picks up a, a, a you know, in the country we play horseshoes, if you will, right? And so the kid picked wow. up a, uh, the kid, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so the kid picked up a, a horseshoe pole. We were about to get into it, and so the uh, the other kid, kid, just a little bit older than us made sure I had a, a horseshoe pole, too, because fair one was a must in the country, right? And I'm sitting here thinking, I want I want to, because he just took my bike, so I want to get the kid, but I don't want to fight with this pole. But luckily, the OG stepped in, took the pole out of our hand, then I choked the little man out. So I was so glad they took that damn pole, because I didn't want to fight with no pole. And this is me as a, a young man in the country. Again, can, kinda can, I, can, I, that can I say something right quick? Yeah, please jump in there, King. A lot, a lot of these OGs know they be knowing good and well that no child don't need no code, but they do it because they in the hood doing foul shit anyway. So they indoctrinate these children, so they won't tell on them doing bullshit. You know what I'm saying? 
saying? I'm not saying that they should, but I'm just telling you what's going on, man. Some of this shit is uh, it, done for the wrong reason, and we got to look into that. You know, the code, the code is to uphold some, some right. It's, it's a righteous code, but if you're using the code to cover up your bullshit, then, you know, that's a whole other story. Yeah, let me ask you this real quick. Um, and I think it's I think it's similar to what you're saying. I also hear about just the idea of even sending younger younger ones to do type, some type of dirt from the standpoint of avoiding doing it yourself, if if that makes sense. So you kind of put it on, uh, even if it ain't the young ones, you just put it on other ones, um, in a sense, because quote unquote. And again, I'm not talking from experience, just someone that's read too much about this type of life, and I think a lot of us get caught up of it, whether it's through hip hop or myself reading through it. But in a sense not wanting to put in the work, if you will. I'm not talking about necessarily the work of shooting anybody, but just any type of illegal activity that to a degree that sometimes is, is handed off for the wrong reasons just to avoid the work themselves. Is that a fair assumption? At least, again, that's just something I've seen um, that's, you know, that's, in my review. That's a that fair world. assumption, and that's a fair assumption. And then we got to look at it. The whole shit is foreign anyway to us. It's a foreign, it's a foreign way of life. You know what I'm saying? That's not... As far as Africans, that ain't that, that ain't us. We adopted that shit, right? So anytime you take on a foreign entity, it's either going to do two things: either you're going to use it and embrace it and use it to your advantage, or it's going to use you in a parasitic way for its advantage. That's just how nature works. So we've yeah, adopted ahead, this foreign code, this foreign street life, this foreign gangsterism. And we do it well. We do it well, man. And it's doing us well, but bad. You feel what I'm saying? It's doing its job in a bad way, man. It's, 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 it's run its course to me. Like, like, what are we getting out of this shit, man? Dead people, yeah. dead children, incarcerated parents, misogyny, nah, that's rape, nah, that's real. drugs. That's real. On and on and on and on and on, and we stick it to the righteous code, but it's up, it's it's upholding bullshit. The code is cool. It's the bullshit that we upholding with the code. Yeah, I remember this, DH. I'm gonna definitely want you to jump in on this part because you're the one that said we gotta ask the question. You know what what the, what's you know the what's the correct code, or not so much correct code, but just what should it apply to. And I remember um, years ago just hearing some quote-unquote OGs talk about even historically, because the streets, have, in a sense, have always been around, and there's always going to be a black market, especially when you see poverty anywhere, and all groups adopt it to a degree if there's a lot of poverty in different times, different groups have experienced it in this country. Um, but with that said, I recall some of the OGs talking about how even the code was reserved for people that was in the streets for real, and, and they they live by it versus now it seems like it's permeated to what people who are in or out or not even in the street code are talking about it and the, the people that were in the streets and live by it as as we hear Sauce Garvey saying a righteous code it applied to them only and now it seems like we're crossing those lines any thoughts on that DA? Um, like what Sauce Garvey was saying these different codes, they uphold corruption and it's detrimental to our community. And it has spilled over 
uh, to people who what I would consider to be civilians that are not actually in the streets and people in the streets expect for people who are considered civilians to uphold their own code. I do understand that even with gang culture, there are different rules for different sets. So everyone isn't living by the same literature and but all of them kind of have this um these unspoken codes like it's just certain things that you don't do like snitching and things like that i think that's just across the board the problem is with our community is the fact that this street life that people are living is not beneficial nothing it, it, we're not gaining anything from it it's detrimental you have other groups like the mob and things like that they're actually living a street life but they're making moves and they're uh, putting right. themselves in places of power we're living right. a street life and we just killing each other off and and we're ruining our community we're not advancing at all by it so we are just upholding corruption and with us upholding corruption some things that are corrupt can help benefit us you know like tapping into different systems and things like that but we're not using it to our advantage we're not doing anything that's beneficial we're just hurting ourselves so a lot of this stuff is bs like south garvey said and it needs to be dismissed remember remember uh, remember the iconic scene in the movie the mac when the militant panther dude went to the mac and was like, man, we got to get the streets. We got to get the prostitutes and drugs mm-hmm. up off the streets, such and such. And the Mac was like, man, nigga, you crazy type shit. Who gets praised? Who did? Who did? Who did we? Who did we relate to? And who did we diss? We praised the Mac, didn't we? Yeah, yeah. He, no he got he got all of the Mac. Hell yeah, fuck this shit. They can't take the drugs up off there. I'm down with the Mac. Even on the movie Men of Society, who gets clowned? Sharif. Who gets praised, old dog? That's how crazy and fucked up we is, man. <laughs> we praise the nigga that's the cutthroat, killing ass, no good nigga. But we clown the nigga who was actually trying to keep the niggas alive and out of prison. Cold world, yeah, man. You don't eat. Yeah, you don't. You, you know, that it's a saying that um, I, I came to understand it and we've all heard it. But I just realized, again, even with my fascination, again, I say fascination because I never was in the streets, if you will. I, I would, I used to just hustle stuff and sell stuff to the people that was in the street because they would buy it the quickest, you know what I mean? And so I played around, from, you know, from that degree, you know, so, you know, maybe a baby toe in the streets never was necessarily in the streets, if you will, or whatever, but adopted some of the codes because that was what made you cool, right? Like you said, we bought it to these other people. But there was this saying that, that, that we've all heard that I realized when you started talking about how maybe some other cultures, uh, in a sense, lived by the code and had some type of progress with it, and we didn't. And it was simply the saying of, you know, you don't, you don't shit where you eat. And, I re- you, know, and as, you know, we've heard that all our lives, but I realized in other cultures, to a degree, the mafia specifically, the Jew- Jewish mob, the Italian mob, things of that nature. So while they would, in a sense, exploit their own people, we understood that to a degree, if something happened in that neighborhood, if if those civilians did keep quiet, they could still go to those ranking members in those in their town and still get certain things handled and 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 certain 
and, and you couldn't just break into somebody who's not in the game's house. You know, you couldn't just go rob somebody's house and there not still be consequences. And so, in a sense, it got handled itself. And that's why they necessarily didn't have to use the police. And that was the concept of you don't shit where you eat. And so, to a degree, they would exploit their own, but they wouldn't allow crime to be rampant in their own area. So they policed it themselves. That's what they meant by that. And that's exactly what you're talking about, Saul Scarborough, when you say that's what, was, that's what seems to be missing or has for a long time been missing um, in, in recent years within the street culture. Go ahead, King. Yeah, if you want to jump in, I don't know if you heard me, Sauce, but I was just kind of, you know, throwing out that, that, that comment. I think it relates exactly to what you were saying. Oh, my bad, my bad, my bad, my bad. I was I was writing something down. I'm writing an order down. I'm working and listening. I'm working and listening. Go ahead, DA. Okay, I can dig it. Well, we're going to get through it, King. Yeah, yeah, you got to get that money, man. Right, right, right. I'm listening. I'm on. I'm with, I'm with it. Go ahead, DA. Yeah, right. what, it, what, what it is that you're saying, it, it makes a whole lot of sense, and it brings uh, it, it, it sheds some light on it. And it's about time that we start looking at it that way and looking at how these, these streets codes, the street life, you know, the street life, I say the street life, because some of these, the codes are necessary, but the thing is, like we said before, it's upholding corruption that is not doing anything to benefit us where else. In that particular situation where you describe, um, they are actually making ways and they're doing something. They have they have an actual system set up. Um, they, have, it, they, they, they have organized crimes so to speak, like they are doing things in order to propel their people. And sometimes, you know, civilians get hurt, the common man get hurt, and, and they get caught in a crossfire of that. But they're not, they're, they're, they don't have crime like running rampant in their neighborhoods or anything like that. Some things will happen and you have some people that get out of line, but they have a way of checking it. And I feel like that's more so like a real true street code than the stuff that we have going on. We just have these things where we out here committing these petty crimes, just doing whatever, um, just being rebels without a cause. And then when somebody get caught up, it's like you need to stick to this code. But the life that you're living isn't anything that's benefiting you or anybody else. At the end of the day, nine times out of ten, it, any black person that's in the streets, nine times out of ten, they're going to get killed or they're going to get locked up. That's just what it is. It's nothing else that's going to come after that. It's, no, it's, nope. it's no, nothing that these people are developing to benefit the people. It's all, it's, it's only thing they're doing is things for themselves and for that little amount of time that they have because a lot of the people that's in the street, um, they don't they don't even expect to have a long lifespan anyway. So they're trying to do whatever it is just right now and, and, and just for self. They're not thinking about their people and uplifting their people in any kind of way or even building any systems so people could build on top of. Only thing they're worried about is just right here, right now, and it's very detrimental to our community because it's self-serving. And, and another thing is... We're up against a break, bro. Um, 
the okay. college guard. So I'm gonna say this real quick prior to the you know prior to the break. I definitely even recall hearing about OGs, even like for example, even back during the civil rights time, that there would be times where the streets would actually help with the civil rights movement, especially if things got violent. It was a lot of times that they would resort to those same OGs that did carry the guns, that did live that life, but kept it apart from the civilians. They would actually assist in times. I've heard things of that nature. Or even remember if somebody was about to get kicked out of a house, it was a lot of times you could go to that street money and make sure that somebody lived in the house. But as you said, Asia, now it's become so selfish, you can't go to somebody on the street typically to make sure that, you know, uh, Miss Maddie don't get kicked out of her house right now because, you know, rent raised too high or something to that degree. So it was definitely a more community-connected thing. And what the OG used to say back then, if you eat from the streets, you also have to feed the community. And that's a big part that seems to be missing today. When we come out of this part, we're going to open up the phone lines. We're about to get this thing kicked off real hot and heavy with Charleston White. Uh, I think that's one of your partners, uh, Sauce Garvey. will definitely be able to speak to this cut. Um, this is a, a podcast that he went on that gets specific into the Pop Hunter situation. So it's going to be real raw. Um, uh, matter of fact, um, I'll let you come out of this cut talking about it. I know you're working, so if you can be ready to come out of this cut. It's about I'm, a three-minute cut. I'm with this it. Is, yeah, this is going to really jump us off, and we're going to open up the phone lines as well. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Mental Dialogue Talk Show, where all I ask is that you think. What was your stance on it? Because, you know, people stopped messing with him. Uzi Vert and a couple of people out there stopped messing with him because of the paperwork that came out of him by the code that we was raised on. Man, like, wasn't no 13-year-old kid raised on that code. How you know that? How you know that? Nigga, you was 13 killing niggas, nigga. Man. Huh? You was 13 killing niggas. You forgot? Man, we wasn't on no code. That's because you changed your life. I don't even listen, know that. Listen, listen, we, 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 listen, homie. Man down, listen, man. listen, 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 homie. We was all kids on no code. It wasn't no code at 13, nigga. Wasn't no motherfucking code at 13, nigga. How you gonna tell a 13-year-old kid with his mother? I was raised in a good home. What code did I have? I'm telling you, I got a loving mother. Christian morals and values. Nigga, we grew up not... What code did we have at 13 years old coming out of my mother's house, homie? None of us was raised like that. So what was your standpoint in that situation? That he Come, Listen to what I'm saying. He was a 13-year-old kid, fam. Are you that fucking... Have you killed before? Me have you convicted? Have you ever been convicted of killing before? You asking me to? Have you ever been convicted of murder before? No. Have you ever done time before? No. Come on, homie, don't play like you such a fucking hard criminal. Where we talking about a thirteen-year-old kid? What that thirteen-year-old kid? You say he got a code? Look at. Do you got any thirteen-year-old cousin who you couldn't imagine not killing, homie? You got any thirteen-year-old that he still or still kid at thirteen? We still kids at thirteen, homie. Take away the rap music, take away the rap videos, take away the... We, we're still kids at 13, homie. So you... So you said I, I'm that, telling you, I grew up with niggas who killed their mothers and their fathers, and them niggas were still crying. <clears throat> I grew up with some of the most... I grew up with some of the most children who committed some of the most worst crimes in the history of the state of Texas. And I'm telling you, homie, they was children. It wasn't no code. And I grew up with niggas who stood over their mothers and their fathers and murdered them. And it wasn't no code at 13, homie, unless you was taught from the time, unless you had a street mother. But he didn't have a street mother. And when do we as a black community say we go put the codes on the kids and they got to stand on the codes? Nigga, back in the day, we tell the 13, he can't be out here. We take the codes away. 
So we had fucked up, my nigga. Is that what you telling me? So this, so my stance was, nigga, fuck anybody who think that kid was wrong, and you ain't never killed nobody. Every nigga speaking on that ain't never done nothing, homie. So that's what I'm saying. I slept next to them niggas who y'all think stood on cold, and them niggas cried when their mothers couldn't come see them on Christmas. Them niggas cried on birthdays, and every time the anniversary of their crimes came around, homie, them kids was fucked up. I mean, man, you can't even stand over a dead body in a, at the funeral home long, and folks ain't crying and snot. Some of the hardest killers. So come on, homie, we ain't finna do that to our black children. So that's what I'm saying. This is a fucked up race, nigga. And I'm saying fuck the black race, fuck the rapper, and fuck anybody who say that nigga was wrong for doing what his mother told him to do at 13 years old. Welcome back to the Mr. Dialogue Talk Show. I'm your host, Montoya Smith, a.k.a. Black Socrates, along with guest co-host, Deja Robinson, and our special guest, Sauce Garvey. One piece of context, Charleston White, the man that you hear breaking it down, um, he was convicted of murder, from what I understand, I think at the age of 14. And so, um, so he's definitely speaking of a place of high experience when it comes to this. Um, but Sauce Garvey, again, I think, again, this is one of your partners or at least somebody that you know of. So if you want to go yes, ahead sir. and yes, jump sir, in, man. The that's, that's my boy. The agent will let you jump that's in after that. Yeah, go ahead, King. Yeah, Charleston White, man, that's my folks. Good people, man. Good, good loyal uh, stand-up dude in my book. You know what I'm saying? He, he uh, tends to rub people the wrong way sometimes, but I understand where he's coming from. And he's definitely uh, experienced in uh, this subject we talked about. He, uh, he uh, killed a white man in Arlington when he was 14. Stood over him and shot him in the face. And, uh, yeah. I feel where he's coming from. I understand where he's coming from, and he's totally correct. And and the people in the industry that blackballed and this little brother, man, it's just stupid shit. And that's where that's where that's what we talk about, man. You know, what is this shit is stupid. They done ruined this man's career over some shit his mama told him to do when he was fourteen. I, I don't, you know, I don't understand it, man. Just where we at right now, though. So. Yeah, Got let's talk about that real quick. And Deja, I want to hear your thoughts as well. And for the listeners out there, you do have to press one. We're about to open up the phone lines. If you, for the listeners that are on the line right now, make sure you press one to let us know that you want to speak. And so, again, when we say marriage, so the marriage is I want people to really understand this context. This is a kid that has a, a record that seems to be doing pretty well from what I understand. Corvette, Corvette um, is kind of how what it's, it's, it's not the official name, but that's kind of how people know it. And so this kid's music career is going well uh, with this, having this hit record, if you will, and they find out about this paperwork. He's 19 or 20 right now that supposedly at 14, his mother asked him to go tell what he knew. And so, um, don't, and I think from what I understand and the research I have at this point, it's not for certain whether he was even a, a quote-unquote street cat, as you heard Cassidy talk about earlier in the show. So they don't even know whether he was even considered in the streets. But, um, again, I'm rocking with Charleston White almost regardless, but even more so if Charleston is giving us the correct information saying, hey, this kid wasn't even that. And, and so the perspective is 
that the culture, quote-unquote, the hip-hop culture specifically, that they could even say, oh, that's a form of snitching, and it's just being applied all one-tonally. It ain't got nothing to do with the cold or the figuring out if he's in the streets. So now we can just put something on it, or like Tarsten said, the people that's talking on it ain't never did none of this stuff, but they the ones holding to the code and saying, we ain't going to rap we ain't gonna rap with the kid. We don't want his song played. So we're going to blackball somebody having a chance at success over a code that we now talking about. As you heard the host on that show say that we grew up with and Charleston corrected him and said, we ain't grow up with that. But the code, the kid, this dude, this internet cat trying to hold some other cat to a code that we now have let seep into our culture. So it's even getting away from the streets. But just culturally thinking that this is okay, and this ain't even no code to live by that makes sense in the real world. Go ahead, DeAsia. we got a couple callers coming in after you. Uh, when I hear that clip and I think about the situation, it makes me think about something that I don't think a lot of people look at in this situation. You know, like when someone that is 14 years old and they're, cause they're a kid, of course, and they commit a crime and they get charged, and we're like... They shouldn't get charged like that. They're just a kid, right? If, 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 so if a kid go commit a crime right now, we're going to be saying it's, whatever their punishment is is too harsh because they're a kid. However, in our society, we turn around and we do our own people worse than the system right, because now right. this 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 kid he's 14 he this happened when he was 14 years old he was just a kid and now we're charging him like an adult blackballing him trying to end his career and all of mm. these different things over something he did when he was a kid so we don't have no type of mercy when it comes to our own but then we expect for the system to have mercy the system we're to have mercy on us precedent. we're setting a horrible yeah. precedent that's going to backfire and bite us in the ass yeah uh, makes, because now what he's going to do yeah, that's real. That's that's a. I, I love that thought process, Queen. And what, to me, what makes it even worse is it ain't even got nothing to do. We not even holding to the code as it was said, though, right? Like they ain't even figured out was quote unquote was he even living that life? Because if he wasn't living that life, civilians are, are allowed. To do. But I'm just talking about even if you only try to hold to it, we even not only are we indicting them the way you say we are, but very possibly we're indicting them and the and using the code wrong. That makes it even worse to me. But let's go ahead and then the, the whole Seven, terminology of, of 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 street niggas and civilians. That shit's stupid in the motherfucker anyway. This what the fuck niggas civilians. Nigga, we all civilians. Nigga, the fuck. <laughs> <laughs> Let me get to these callers. Let me get to these callers. Seven eight six last three three zero seven. Give us your name, where you're calling from, and your three cents on this morning's discussion. Yeah, how you doing? My name is What's up, Montoya? It's I'm Rashad Marsh. Calling out of hey, Miami, Florida. Rashad? Glad to get you in, King. Thanks a lot. Where you calling? Where you calling from this morning? I know you'd be moving around the country. Yeah, you know I stay in East Oakland, California. You know we talking about street life. Right, that's a lot of that over there. Um, by the way, I'm, I'm in Miami. I'm visiting some family right now. Okay, for sure, Ken. Uh, what you got Miami, Florida. Go get in that thing with us. Um, you know, um, <clears throat> I like to always go back to, we talking about code, and the, um, the only person who I know laid the code down is, uh, I got a chance to read Nilly Fuller's book, and I know you had him on your show. 
the United Independent Compensatory Code. Um, a code is just basically an ideology. And he um, also, what he said was, these are two things I want to point out. Um, if you don't understand white supremacy and how it works, then everything else will confuse you. And also I want to point out, um, in his book he said that if every book every book that's ever written should be uh, read to solve a problem, to provide a solution. So I know as we're talking here, this conversation has come out so we can provide a solution to to a problem, um, which is which, 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 which is what you stated in your question today um, about street life and relationships and marriage. I mean, so um, what I'm saying is that we have to figure out why the street, why people even go to the streets, and how, when, when did it start? Because in the 60s there wasn't no street life, there was civil rights. We were fucking working on civil rights. We got to see when the street life came from. And back then, the street life was coming from kids trying to get paid in the street. You had Malcolm X, people like Malcolm X out there. He was the ear hustler from white people to, to come back and, and come to black people and say, hey, um, this is what I got right here. Even with the running, running numbers um, with um, Bobby Johnson in Harlem, they had to go out until they couldn't get decent jobs. So they, so, so they would see how the, the, the numbers run, and then they started number running. You know what I'm saying? So basically, we, have to, we as a black people have to find a cure for the problem or we're we just going to be treating it all the time. See, this conversation is coming up again and again and again because we don't understand what the root of the problem is. It's just like, a, it's just like if somebody out there got herpes or something like that. And, and, and um, these, with these companies, you'll never hear that word cure. They're treating it. So it's going to keep treating it and treating it. It's going to keep coming back, keep coming back keep, until they find the root of the problem. We know they got the cure out there, but they don't want to give it to us. So what I'm saying today is we have to find out why, specifically why these kids out here are going to the streets. And there should be a code, but the code should be black people should get power, and, and then we can handle these problems. But see, we can't handle these problems. Yeah, we, we, we can't handle these problems because white people, because, because we can't lay down the laws like we need to. Black people can't lay down laws like we need to because we all got white interference. When Farrakhan said he was going to go out there and, and we need 10,000 people to control the community, white daddy got involved. We need to get these mother, I mean, we need to get these people out of the way. This is this is the only, this is the biggest problem we have. Because every time we try to provide a solution to something, here they come, and then this problem persists. See, when we get power, we can we can, we can create an economy where, where kids don't have to go to the street. Will we be talking about this problem? Probably so, but not as much. I'm, I, 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 I can hey, guarantee I you can cut thoughts, this problem. Team, we actually up now. Thank you, yeah. Thank you, thank you so much for your thoughts. He's one hundred percent correct. Uh, we up against the breaks. So yeah. I thank you for your passion. Uh, all right, brother. Uh, we let people get it in. Thank you very much, King, for your thoughts this morning. Appreciate you for getting in. Yes, sir. For everybody right. out there, we got we got to press one. And let us know you want to get in. We are up against the break. Five one two. We will be coming to you out of the break. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Mental Dialogue Talk Show, where all I ask is that you think five one two. Get back on the one. Don't come off the one. Five one two. Hey. Where did you get that hat and t-shirt? I like that. Oh, I got this at moneymotivation.com. It's fresh, right? Yes. And I love the message on it, too. You are the hustle, huh? That's what the shirt says. I am the hustle. They embody the entrepreneurial spirit. And what I like the most, it's more than a brand. It's a lifestyle for those who want to put in the work and expect to have the final things in life. I also follow them on Instagram. Check this post out. 
If you believe money is the root of all evil, you're using it wrong? Or how about this one? Excuses made zero dollars an hour. I like those. What's their IG? At moneymotivation.co. But do they have any ladies gear? Yes, you're going to love the clothing line they got for the ladies. Matter of fact, pull up their website, moneymotivation.com, and I'm going to get you a few things so we can both look like money. Everywhere I go, go. Everywhere I be, be. I don't even talk, talk. They see a go with because I look like money. Smell like money. Talk like money. And I've seen that. So, yeah, we've seen the older niggas send the 13-year-olds and the 12-year-old home. They'll go home, but those were the ones that had parents, and that was just disrespecting their parents, not the ones that didn't have any choice. So there was hold on, let me finish because you went on. I seen some kids that were taught at a young age. I seen it. I was around it. I seen it. But was he that, that kid? We talking about this kid? No, he me. wasn't that kid. But he wasn't that kid. But you made a broad statement. But this is what is I'm it, saying. How right? many? No. How many kids did we see like that growing up? Not so, many. Not many. So that's that's what I'm saying. So, so, don't, so don't put that whole blanket on us as a culture. Because most of, so what you're telling us, our culture, our parents and mothers are savages if they taught us those codes. Most of us didn't have that. I mean, we, we as black people in this country literally come from good teaching. And all of us got our ass whooped if we didn't tell something. All of us, homie. We was taught and raised to tell. You have to be fucking brainwashed and indoctrinated with street bullshit to go against that foundation of telling when your mother them coming there. We see it on every first 48 episode. Hey, get his mom in there. And what your mama going to tell you, son? Tell these white What your grandmama, she going to cry and plead with you. How many niggas going to go against that? How many children? Pre-adolescent, and we're talking about, see, I deal with the side of brain development, right? So I deal with the expert side. My people deal with the side of the emotional side, is what I say. Homie, I deal with all the studies, the statistics, the medical, science, data, research that says the human brain doesn't to act around 25. So you're telling me that's just a normal brain. Welcome back to the Myth Dialogue Talk Show. I'm your host, Montoya Smith, a.k.a. Black Socrates, along with special guest co-host DeAsia Robinson. Our special guest is Sauce Garvey, Street Life and Black Culture. Is it an unhealthy matter? <coughs> Here another cut from Charleston White talking about the Pop Hunter situation. Again, that brother's just breaking it all the way down um, from his perspective. Before we go to the caller, DeAsia, any thoughts about that cut? <laughs> He's absolutely right about what he was saying as far as how we are raised. Um, One thing about it, most of us, we do, even though we may be in poverty-stricted environments and things like that inside the home, we really are are raised on a lot of um, good morals and principles uh, across the board. So a lot of times, a lot of these cats, they go into these streets and try to live their life like kind of like what you were saying back when you said you read that book about that sixth grader that had the pistol and he was doing the drive-by, but you kind of wanted to be that cat because your right of passage was running a football against the bigger kid. That that's the That's the type of thing, like you're looking outside of the window and these things are glamorized 
and you feel like, oh, I want to have some parts of it, but it's a small segment of our community that necessarily have to be in the street versus the people who are looking outside their window at what's going on in the street and, and, and want a piece of it, and it's glamorized, and they jump out there, and they get caught up. And you have situations like the uh, Pop Honda thing where he wasn't he wasn't raised like that. He was raised to if something happened, you need to tell me or you're going to get a whooping type of thing. So, yeah, if his mama is telling him in his ear saying, hey, son, you need to do this, you need to do that, he's going to listen to his mom because the first person that gave him a cold in his life was his mama. So he's more prone to listen to his mama than some cat on the street. It don't matter how hard somebody is. You could be the toughest gangster out here. Nine times out of ten, your mama will be able to convince you of either one of your parents or whatever, whoever you look up to in your in your family. Nine times out of ten, they will be able to convince you at some point to either stop what you're doing or you will start considering to stop doing what you're doing unless you just in too deep and you absolutely can't. But nine times out of ten, they're able to convince you because they're the ones that gave you the first code to live by. And not only that, That's they're the ones feeding you, clothing you, housing you. Taking care of you, you trying to fuck up my house, nigga. The fuck? That's, that's, <laughs> right. that's a code. You, I can't fuck up that's home. Real. But then some people that's choose to fuck up home and be like, you know what? I'm fuck my. I'm gonna get out in the streets. And that's where they fuck up at. Yeah, let me. But let's get some. Yeah, let me go in. harder on the um, psychology of it before I go to the caller. So the psychology of you would be telling the story of you know, in my little country town, you run, you know, you you run in, up the middle. That's what the guys had you do. And so what I realized years later, uh, again, just being concerned about our community when you get into the mental dialogue, the psychology of it, is I realized, again, as I got older, I was fortunate to come up in that country living, but I realized that at that age, because it was me and my mother, you know, kind of raised me, you know, to a degree on her own, and I realized at that age without necessarily having, I had my grandfather around, so I did have, you know, so I'm going to make it real clear. So I did have a father figure, if you will. But, you know, once we moved out, it was just me and her to a degree. And with that said, without necessarily that father figure in the home, I realized me running up the middle and Monster Cody, you know, getting that shotgun in hand, I realized the psychology was as a boy, you was going to chase whatever form of manhood was shown to you if you didn't have an example at home. So I could have easily have been him if I was in L.A. trying to be what the older guys told me to be because the only reason I'm running in the sixth grade, running up the middle with a, a junior in high school tackling me, and, and I'm little, the only reason I'm doing that is because I need to be respected in the neighborhood. But, you know, that ain't what you want to do, but it mans you up. That's what mans him up. And so I point this out because a lot of what we're talking about is related to a lot of us not having fathers in the home to the degree that we chase manhood any way that we can when we haven't seen an example. I definitely wanted to bring that into the to the mix of this. Let's go to the caller. Area code five one two last three zero zero three. Give us your name, where you're calling from, and your three cents on this morning's discussion. Good morning. Daryl Black out in Texas. Man, y'all what's that? Hey, what's up, King? Ooh, y'all cut down. Miss Robinson. What's up, Garvey? What's happening, man? What's up with it? Come fuck hey. with me. Y'all been playing it as it goes, man. Just just, just smash mouth for this thing, going straight in with it. 
I love the gray area you was talking about, but I'd like to say, in my point of view, in for what y'all was saying about the home training versus the street codes, I don't call home training no kind of codes. Home training is home training. That's what we get. That's our natural intake. Like like uh, uh, Sauce was saying earlier, man, this this codes and shit. This ain't us. This ain't naturally us. We adopted to this shit and, and, and getting our ass kicked by this shit for years. I love that point, man. Cause I'm, uh, uh, I've been in and out, and and and, and good Lord, and my ancestors blessed me long enough and gave me respite long enough to change the beliefs that I see, that I go by. You know what I'm saying? I done had fucked up principles on my belief for most of my life because I picked it up in the streets and. For the most part, a lot of people ain't putting it on this here. The codes wasn't or are not taught to the youth like 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 Charleston was saying. The exposure is the teacher. We start playing monkey yeah. see monkey do, man. That's where it come from. You see, right. when I came up, my mama been been in the nursing field all her life. She's been busting her ass for me all my life. I was a little sharper than the rest of the hood, but I was still in the hood. So a lot of the, uh, 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 I had to be good with my hands. Cause the motherfucker always want to play me like baby boy. Just like like, like uh, you were saying, Smitty, we chased that manhood. So yeah, I am looking at my mama slave uh, and barely making it then. Yeah, this 25-year-old nigga, you know, he was good in football a couple of years ago now. He riding around in the Cadillac. He, he, he riding some shit cleaner than my mama. Now, I, I'm curious. How did you do it? So I'm watching you. Okay, now I'm seeing this nigga get down. I'm learning the code watching this nigga. He ain't taught me shit. The exposure is where the youth get the shit from. A lot of people overlook that point. I was a straight-A student. Went to the Air Force Academy. I was making quick money in high school. Got a full ride to the Air Force Academy. Got up there, then white folks was putting that discipline on my ass with that bullshit I couldn't take it. I'm like, man, fuck you. I got 10000 at the house. I can go back to what the fuck I'm doing, get in and out a couple of years. See, I was too smart for my own good. That street culture overrode that home training my mama gave me, man. I fell for the bullshit. I'm gonna make an eye statement. Can't nobody argue with me with my eye statement. It's my testimony, man. The answer to the question is street life and the black culture and unhealthy marriage. Hell the fuck yeah, and I'm the fool. Mm. Y'all have a nice day, man. Y'all keep doing that, man. Love it. All right, brother Black. Love you. Like that. Thank you, Kim. All right, have a good one. I'm still listening, but y'all go ahead, man. No, we got you, King. If you want to get back in, come off the one and back on it. You know we're a family show. We keep it going. It's real raw. Uh, I knew that it would be, um, and I'm glad that it is because we got to speak to this thing. I'm going to take it a whole nother level. For the other callers out there, don't forget, you can't push one. If you're online, the number to get in is 646-787. One six nine one. Again, it's six four six seven eight seven one six nine one. You do have to press one 
to let us know that you want to speak. I'm literally going to um, go to a break here. When we come back, I'm going to take it even one step further than what you just heard from my man, D. Black, breaking down his 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 transition, if you will. And I want you to think about that as well, South Guard, because, again, I know you've experienced, spent some time in the streets. Um, you know, again, that's not my, not my transition, but I definitely recall seeing my country town eventually start carrying guns. And I want to yeah, talk about yeah. how I saw how I saw that transition, and and a complete difference when I finally visited city cities and saw the difference. So that's what we'll talk about. It, it, when we come it, out was, it was the horse. It's the horseshoes for me. <laughs> it was the horseshoes for you. Now that's dope. That's funny. All right, we'll be right back. Uh, six seven eight uh, last three six nine zero. We'll get to you um, coming out of break as well. You're listening to the Mental Dialogue Talk Show. Where all I ask is that you think. Have you heard about that podcast, Mental Dialogue? It's so good, it should be elite. But if you miss the live show every Saturday, 10 a.m. to 12 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on Blog Talk Radio, be sure to catch replays on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Podbean, and all other streaming platforms. We are the return of intelligent radio, and we are the best in the world at having hard conversations on race, sex, gender, and business in the African-American community. Remember, all I ask that you think. Flowers daily. 
Dialogue Talk Show. I'm your host, Montoya Smith, a.k.a. Black Socrates. This morning's discussion question, street life and black culture, is it an unhealthy marriage? Our featured guest co-host is the Asia Robinson from Locked and Loaded, as well as South Garvey. We've got a caller that wants to get in as well. So I want to say I want to take this thing even a little deeper, as you've heard um, the black call in and give his passionate viewpoint of in his, his transition, saying, hey, he had good home training. And he broke away from it. And so what I saw happen in my country town, as I said, growing up playing horseshoes every day, because that's how, literally how far, how far back we go with that country thing. Um, I remember <laughs> I remember this writing a paper about this when I was in college. And, you know, just mentioning hip-hop, if you will. And I literally can tell you I witnessed a three-stop light town. The music influenced us way more than it should have. Um, in a lot of these cities, a lot of these things, these gang cultures that have been around well before hip-hop became popular, well before, quote-unquote, gangster rap had become popular. And, and, and so in those cities, it, you know, in a sense, they were revealing things that they lived. We were so fascinated by it that I watched our community, I'm, again, I'm from a country town, so seeing guns, we grow up, we shoot guns at a very young age in the country. So we grew up, you know, seeing guns and things of that nature, but it was rifles, things that you would go hunting with, you know what I mean? We wasn't, or, or, or if you're, or if you, you know, your granddad or, you know, people had things, they had things to protect the homes, 38, you know, that kind of thing, or whatever. But as we heard these rappers talking about these other type of weapons, I started seeing Cats transition to carrying weapons in a, in a little country town, whereas in the cities, you came to understand, or at least I came to understand, that in a sense there was often turf battles, or even in the drug game, you know, hey, if you're transgressing over my turf, we're gonna fight for this turf. But in our towns, again, I grew up fighting a lot, but it would be over the typical stuff. And unfortunately, once we started carrying guns, due to the music literally influencing us to do so. I can admit that those fist fights started turning into gunfights, and we didn't have the same excuse that they have in the cities where everybody's packed in and it's sardines, and you literally coming over here selling something that's taking food off my plate. We didn't have, and I'm not saying that that's okay. We can all call that bullshit too, but it's even more BS in small towns where it wasn't no transgression. I mean, before, you know, the drugs been around like everywhere. They ain't just in the cities. So we had the drugs as well. But it wasn't turf fights. It was just silly, dumb fights that now it started turning into gunfights versus fist fights the way I grew up fighting. So just wanted to ask you, Soft Girl, before we go to another caller, like what was your transition, uh, again, being in a bigger city than mine? But I just wanted to point out, I can literally admit that the fascination alone is how some of this stuff even became a code in a small town such as mine. Uh, with me, man, I had an equal influence at the same time. Like, I got into the streets when I was 14, but I also got conscious when I was in, when I was 14. So I, I would listen to Public Enemy and NWA, Ice Cube and Carriers One. You know what I'm saying? So with me... 
it, it was a constant in, internal battle. You know what I'm saying? I, and, and I mean, if you ask the people I grew up with, I've always been like that. It was, it's, I call it a balance, but it was really a, a battle. You know what I'm saying? And to this day, I still mm-hmm. battle it. I'm RBD, revolutionary but gangster. You know, so it, it, it and, and I've seen it, man. I've seen, you know, Fort Worth is a large country town. It's large, but it's still a country town, man. And I've seen the the waves that, that hit us with the crack, the music, the gang culture, man. It hit hard. It hit real hard. People were dying and killing, man, over some shit that was foreign to us. But we embrace it. Like, you know, anything black people do, man, if we get a hold of so it, we embrace it. We're going to do it the best. And we, we've embraced this culture, man, and we do it the fucking, well, not the best. Don't nobody kill like crap, but you know what I'm saying. I respect the king. All right, let's go to the I've next. I've seen it, though, man. Um, I wish. Six, seven. No, absolutely. Area code 678, last 3690. Give us your name, where you're calling from, and your three cents on this morning's discussion. Hello, good morning. Morning. Can hey, you hear how me? you doing, queen? Where you calling from? Yeah, we can hear you Hi. well. Okay, this is Brandy. I, I'm calling from Atlanta, live in Atlanta, but I'm originally from Oakland, California. So this definitely is a very interesting topic, to say the very least. And um, I would say that, you know, for me, um, I'm a former police officer. I used to be a police officer in St. Louis City. And the whole Rodney King incident plus the police brutality that I saw growing up, you know, and growing up in the projects or the ghetto um, was a very, you know, driving factor to want to be able to be, you know, serve in our community because all the things that, you know, everybody's talking about, um, you know, on this topic, you know, I felt like my blessing was to be able to intervene in young people's lives you know, that are out there because I do understand the why, but I also can give them a different perspective. And one of the things that I learned and that was very appreciated was the conversations that I had with the young people. Like the whole, you know, criminal justice system, it needs to be completely reformed, overhauled. Because the thing that I know from being on both sides of that fence is that you never – are forgiven for the mistakes that you make. You continually, you know, have to uh, serve your time over and over and over, and people don't want to let you move beyond your past. You know, because nobody, everybody got a past, and nobody is above a mistake, no matter what kind of mistake it was. You know, and I always challenge younger people, you know, yeah, this is what you're doing, or this is what you may have done, but who are you now or who do you want to be? And it's very unfortunate that they put, you know, officers in our communities who don't understand the culture. I use the term they come from Mayberry. They grew up, you know, in um, the suburbs, but then you come to an inner city to try to be the police. You're not effective. You can't be effective. There's not enough inclusive diversity training or what have you to help you or that individual be able to really serve in an effective manner. And, you know, the whole no snitching rule, I never bought into it because my thing was this. I grew up around pimps, drug dealers, the whole nine, you know, and 
if it's meant for you to, if it's your time to go, it's your time to go. But what I'm not going to do is encourage and support something that I know is wrong. And I'm not going to sit up there and be afraid of what you, you know, threaten me. I'm just not. Because at the end of the day, you got a choice to make, and so do I. And everybody has to chart their own path. But, you know, leaders are born and made because they get put in situations that make them rise to the occasion, whether they choose the dope life or whether they choose, um, you know, uh, a legal life. The mindset, though, that the thing that I learned about people who are in the streets that choose that lifestyle, they're beyond smart, a lot of them, but they just choose not to apply what they know into a better vehicle and avenue that won't put their family in harm's way or people that they love and care about. So that's the downfall. We are, I understood, you know, people did it so dope because that's how they fed their families, but you also have to understand the domino effect and the backlash that you can't protect your family that comes with that. So you have to weigh, count up the cost. Is it really worth it? You know, you take the risk, but how long are you going to stay? Because the dope game ain't designed for you to retire and have a full career, you know, doing it. It's either going you're going to die or you're going to go to jail for life. It's inevitable. So, you know, but if you've never been exposed to anything else, you think that's it. That's like everything. But I've had some of my best conversations, even when I was a police officer with people that were in the streets. And I always got a lot of respect for that because I wasn't out there trying to, you know, case people and beat people and just mistreat people. And it was amazing. Some of my coworkers that I worked with that were very racist, their mindset and mentality towards how they felt they need to talk and treat people. And needless to say, we bumped heads a lot. But it wasn't gonna be no dirty, dirty, shady stuff going on in around me, cause I made it very clear I ain't going to jail for nobody. If I go, it's gonna be because of something I did. But I ain't covering for you. If you out there doing it, then you gonna own that accountability and take them consequences, cause I will tell everything. So that was, you know, it, my thought process nah, about that's it. that's a beautiful three cents. Uh, I, I love the perspective, um, and I, I, me being a, a big advocate of community policing in the event, in the sense that you went in there with that consciousness and maintained it, because there's a lot of, I, even our own, who don't do that. But that's why I'm a, a fan of it, because it can make a huge difference in getting proper policing, because at the end of the day, um, as much as you know, there can be disdain for the police. The reality is, in some of our neighborhoods, there is there is some necessary policing, and if, if we're not going to do it ourselves or have the resources to do it, then I think it is imperative that we find more people like yourself to be in that in that industry. I, uh, I guess I, I, won't, I won't say I hate that we lost you uh, for no longer doing it now, but I definitely like to applaud you and say thank you for the hearing and give your three cents on how you handled that and how you see that's things. the next so show Montoya. yeah we could definitely make that work we could definitely make that work I know Brandon you know I got my opinions we'll on that one yeah for sure for sure for <laughs> sure we can figure it out uh, we actually up against the break now but thank you Queen for your three cents this morning hey Montoya, I gotta ride brother okay no problem uh, sauce garbage, man. Uh, you didn't think you want to get out before I go to break? Um, club, um, you know, let people yes, know what sir, you're man. doing with your uh, Supreme pull-up. Go ahead and get that out real quick, and I'll let you ride. Hey, right man, 
man. I, pre- I appreciate the opportunity, man. I always build, dialogue, teach, learn with my people, man. You keep doing your thing, Montoya. You're very consistent. Gage, you already know what's up. Uh, man, great show. We're going to figure it out one day. You know what I'm saying? And, uh, man, Supremes, pull up. Holler at me, man. I got a big announcement coming up soon. Peace and Black Power. All right, thanks a lot, King. We are up against the break. We'll be back. You're listening to the Mental Dialogue Talk Show, where all I ask is that you think. If you are a small business owner, do you and your accountant implement a tax strategy to pay quarterly taxes throughout the year? Or do you wait until the end of the year during tax season to write off all expenses to lower your taxable income? If this is you, stop. Call Benny Tax and Accounting today. With over 15 years of experience working with major companies, this boutique firm has opened up to show small business owners how to strategize like the major companies and position themselves for growth with not only effective tax strategies, but also specializing in new business formation, bookkeeping services, cash flow management, payroll, and business evaluations to secure bank finance. Basically, all the things you need but have kept putting off. But those days are over. Bennett Tax and Accounting to the rescue. Contact them at 770-545-2145. Ask for run. Again, 770-545-2145. Let them save you from yourself. Phil was probably the most dedicated person in the show when it came to the values of the mob. He's always going on about honor, commitment to La Cosa Nostra, and after all, he did do 20 years on a peak, which is no small feat. Other bosses, like Carmine Senior, perhaps from the little we see of him, the most level-headed and business-orientated boss of the entire series, recognize that this thing of theirs is a business. They are in it to make money. The codes and honor and all of that stuff is just a lot of crap really at the end of the day. And when it comes down to following the ethics of the mob or being pragmatic and making money, we always see the boss's favorite decisions where money is made, such as when Carmine Senior rules against killing Ralph because he's a moneymaker, or when Tony flip-flops about the idea of whacking Vito because again, he's a high earner. Whether he's an honorable person for this or bone idly ignorant, Phil is oblivious when it comes to matters like this. All he sees is the rules of La Cosa Nostra and follows them blindly, even if it means making some of the stupidest decisions in the show. And everyone else pretty much knows in the back of their minds that the codes don't really mean anything. Welcome back to the Mental Dialogue Talk Show. I'm your host, Montoya Smith, a.k.a. Black Socrates, along with special guest co-host DeAsia. Robinson, this morning's discussion question, the street life and black culture, is it an unhealthy marriage? I pulled a cut from one of my favorite shows of all time, The Sopranos. Some of you may be familiar with it, uh, may have heard, or may be familiar with the characters that you were just hearing about, but it was just a pertinent cut uh, to this discussion because um, even in the quote-unquote mafia, you know, the Italian mob, if you will, which Charleston White, on, on another um, cut, we talked, we heard some of his cuts, and he was like, look, we've adopted someone else's culture, even in this street thing, and we go to copy in the mafia, and we hear a rap artist talk about it and things of that nature, and the reality is, even in their world, 
the codes don't really mean anything. And again, that was a TV show, but that's something that, again, my fascination with um, reading about these various things, the mob even talks about how nobody ever held to the code. So even in, 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 the, in a sense, the people that we got it from, the codes didn't mean anything. And so when we talk about evaluating these street codes and how they bled into the culture, and again, when I say bled into the culture, when, when you start having, uh, you know, again, this is a, a music artist, ain't street life, but when you got a music artist being blackballed by a bunch of people who've never lived that life because the so-called the code is supposed to apply, even though as Charleston said, you've never been in that position, it's a, it's a sad day when the people that we admire and get it from don't really follow the codes either. And I can even go even deeper in the history uh, for even the top gangsters that you've heard about historically, the Lucky Lucianos of the world and things of that nature. They were notorious for if they didn't want to kill someone, they would use their cops to put them in jail and set them up and put them in jail. So they was putting their own people inside their gang in the jail by stitching on them. And this is, again, just keeping it real from where we got it from. Your thoughts on any of that, uh, age before I go to another caller? Yes, um, I wanted to speak to that because there is this thing where it's uh, contradictory in a sense where we we have in the street life, there's this code, like you're not supposed to pitch, right? But then there's also different codes that people are supposed to live by as well, like, for instance, I know that you're not supposed to be out, you know, killing women and kids and things like that, right? So here's the thing. Somebody go commit a crime and they they break that code and they kill a woman or a child that has absolutely nothing to do with anything, right? But then they don't want someone to go tell that the person who broke the code of killing the woman or the child, they want to cover it up by not snitching. And so the person who, if they go and tell that the person killed the woman or the child, it's like the person who told is the one that broke the code, but not the person who killed the woman or the child. So there is no, where's the accountability? And so the reason, and, and with there not being any accountability in that particular situation, it, it, it causes a whole lot of co- corruption. So really in this, in this to re- really to be honest, there isn't an actual code. It's, it's, it's one of those things right. where they try to hide, they try to, they try to hold certain things to a different standard. So it's really not a code because what's the difference between that person who broke the code and killed the woman, the child? Like what, what, what how, how are they treated? How are they handled? How are they held accountable? Ain't nobody going after them to, are they, are people retaliating on them? Or, or what, what right. happens? Do you continue? To, so it, it's, it's really not a, a code. It's just based on, everything is based on all of these different standards, and they hold it to a different extent. No, so true. Like, it basically proves that the codes are BS. Because, again, if, you, if, you know, if that was, like you said, a rule, and somebody broke that rule, then somebody should have held someone accountable. But like you said, none of that ever happens. So it ends up being a a mythical thing that people are holding to, but nobody really is. Like, let's just call it what it is. Let's go to the next caller. Area code 248-LAST-3610. Give us your name, where you're calling from, and your three cents on this morning's discussion. Peace. What's going on? It's Brother True from Detroit. Hey, how you doing, Brother True? Detroit. What you got for us, King? Thanks for getting in with us. 
Peace. Uh, I've, you know, I've uh, been listening for about 30, 40 minutes. Um, I just wanted to chime in, and I agree with what um, Dave Asia just said as far as, like, the accountability on the code is not really no accountability. And also, like other people was reiterating, this code is something that we adopted from being under oppressive circumstances. You see what I'm saying? Like, our code as as a, I would say, black people or African people is more, has to do with morals, and it does has nothing to do with this made-up street code, which is a facade and it's kind of fake because we didn't create the conditions that encompass the street. We didn't create the violence and the, the drugs and the things of that nature in in our communities. We just were victims of it, you know what I'm saying? Or or, you know, victims of the of the circumstances that were created by outside forces. You know what I'm saying? Some uh some of us, you know, allowed those type of things to come in, of course, but for the main part we have been victims of this so called cold or fake cold because when you look at it like you were just saying, really only on the street level or the smallest level that you get is uh, is using law enforcement or government considered snitching. Because like when you get up there, even into cartel level, like you just said, certain cartels will use certain law enforcement agents or agencies to take down other cartels. You feel what I'm saying? So... The only time that it's considered snitching or it's considered taboo is when you get to the lowest level of street level and you're dealing with people who selling drugs on the corner and stuff like that or we ain't supposed to snitch. But like the agent just pointed out, if you harm a woman or a child and, and somebody, uh, you know, put tails on you or put that out, put that information out, to me, in my opinion, that's not considered telling because only time is... Only time is telling or snitching is when two people who who have joined, who have who voluntarily signed up for a certain lifestyle that that's within this system, is that considered snitching? You know what I'm saying? In my opinion, like you can't a child and women and children and elders are not encompassed into that street code unless they grew up in, in in that lifestyle. You feel what I'm saying? And most of us, like most of us, didn't grow up in that lifestyle, or we didn't grow up. Um, actively being taught that lifestyle. Most of us adopted that lifestyle from outside of our personal household. You know what I'm saying? I, I don't have too many That's homeboys that just grew up being groomed for the streets from a kid, from a child. You know what I'm saying? Most people aren't groomed for the street for the street as a child. You, you adapt as you get older and you start to, you know, see things and you start to, you know what I'm saying, learn from just watching. Like the one brother said, nobody taught me no school or not to snitch or nothing like that. I learned that. Just from observing the people who I consider to be, you know what I'm saying, the the, the, the stand-up guys in the neighborhood, and I followed the rules that they followed. So it really wasn't like a code or culture, because I don't really think that black people have a culture, in my opinion. You feel what I'm saying? Or we, we have, like, adapted certain things from other people's culture and kind of made a subculture of our own. But in reality, we kind of mixed up, and we don't really know our true culture. And that's kind of the problem, too. You know what I'm saying? So... Like, I don't agree with, with nobody calling no 13 year kid no rat or no snitch because their mama took them to a police scene or, or made them give up some information because, like you said, most 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 13-year-olds not going to go against their mama, you know what I'm saying, or, or, or their grandma or their family for some falsified code with when you do even up 
adhere to the street code. Nobody take care of your family. If you don't snitch, niggas ain't taking care of your family. Niggas not um, doing what they supposed to do if it was a real code. You know what I'm saying? That's how you know that the code or the street was really bullshit. You know what I mean? Because it's only... They only want to uphold the code if, if it's somebody telling, but they don't want to uphold the code if somebody touch a baby or somebody rape a woman. You feel what I'm saying? I don't like that. Yeah, like, like that's the dangerous point. No, absolutely. And let's say this um, again. Thanks for calling in. True, these are strong points, man. Yeah, so, and, so. And, like I want to even go. Let's like like when you say you know you just said it. I mean, and everybody's consistently been saying it throughout this show that street code is bullshit. And so I want to go deep. Let's go deep with that. So, if we can say that now, and obviously we've, and, you know, and, and, I, and, and me admittedly, again, in my fascination, there were parts of the quote-unquote code that I even tried to adopt, even though I wasn't in the streets, if you will, and made, made it a part of who I am. And the reason I made it a part of who I am is because, as you said, monkey Steve, monkey do, it was the cool thing to do, and it gave you, quote-unquote, so much respect. And here's, here's the unfortunate part about that being considered some level of respect. Like, here's the silliness of it. Like, let's just call it out. Too much in the background. I'm going to take you down. Hold on one second. Oh, my bad. I'll bring you back on, though. So, anyway. Okay. uh, Here's the silliness of it all. The silliness of it is that I can now look, you know, as a 47-year-old man and realize that through my 30s, Again, not necessarily being in the street. Hold on, hold on, hold on, one. I got I'm sorry, y'all. Got the wrong one. There we go. I got it now. The the silliness of it all is how much we made that street BS a part of who we are. And now we can evaluate it to the degree that I can even remember something as silly as this. I know you probably remember this, Asian. But if you remember when Jay-Z and Nas, Nas were going back and forth in their little hip-hop battle, right? They were going, and um, and Jay-Z does a, a little freestyle called Super Ugly and ended up talking about Nas's baby mother. And this dude was literally upset saying he broke the street code to be talking about my baby mama in this rap. He broke the street code and I'm from I understand Nas ain't got no extensive street background. So he meant that. He meant that. And I'm just saying bringing up something as little as light as that shows the silliness of it all but he was most upset about that aspect. And I'm not saying that Jay-Z should have done it. I mean, Jay-Z's mother made him apologize for it. So I get it from a respect standpoint, but it was supposedly breaking the street kids because kids and children were off limit. But reality is they ain't never been off limits because we got too many kids and women dying in our community. So when have they really ever been off limits? And so it was BS to even bring that into a quote-unquote hip-hop battle. Your thoughts on that, Queen? Yeah, that was something that shouldn't have the streets the streets and hip hop there's totally two totally different things. So they in a battle. So if they're in a battle, there's rules to battle it. If they're in a battle, all the gloves are off. They could talk about anything it is that they wanna talk about. That has absolutely nothing to do with a street code. He didn't go do anything to uh to his baby mama or whatever he just was just using it 
in a lyrical way to take his shot. And so there was there wasn't anything wrong with it. Now, if they want to say he broke the code of you know when we're battling, there are certain things that's off limits. That's one thing. But to say he broke a street code, that's not a street code. Those Definitely are two totally different entities. Absolutely, we actually up against a break. Uh, if you want to get in, you have to press one. If you're online, the number to get in is six four six. Seven eight seven one six nine one. Again, that's six four six seven eight seven one six nine one. As we play another cut from our sponsor, Square Business Entertainment, Taylor Paces Flowers. We'll be right back. All I ask is that you take me. Say, dog. I mean, it's crazy how it's been like a year since Big Brother died. Like another black man killed by the police, unarmed. I can't believe they did him like that. I never got the chance to make the right one. That goes into what he always used to say, right? He's always been like, appreciate the people that's around you while they're around because you never know. They may not be there, man. Yeah. Hey, what was that handshake you taught us? I'm trying to remember. Thank you. Yeah, man. how I wanted to live, how I thought I was living. 
So it, you got to get out of your comfort zone and step in to reality. Reality is you don't need to be accepted. Just be respected. Because it was those dudes that used to be like, nah, Kaz, I'm not cutting class. Nah, I'm going to class. And them dudes got their college degree. They never missed a birthday of their kids. Their credit scores 800. Welcome back to the Mr. Dialogue Talk Show. I'm your host, Montoya Smith, a.k.a. Black Socrates, along with special guest co-host DeAsia Robinson. This morning's discussion question, the street life and black culture, is it an unhealthy marriage? As we hear a cut from Casanova two times, we got a caller that actually wants to get in. Uh, let's go ahead and see what the caller got. Matter of fact, well, before we go to the caller, DeAsia, any thoughts about hearing Casanova kind of break down? Again, as we've kind of consistently said throughout this show, it's actually silly to think that we grew up thinking that that was cool. I'm talking about even most of us, as um, Brother True out of Detroit said, most of us didn't grow up that way. But we find it to be fascinating to the point to where it's cool. We make it a part of our lives, and it ends up being a bunch of silliness. And even to the degree where in some, in sometimes it even makes it difficult for, for example, the police to do their work inside of our community when people have been victimized. And so it's real sad to think that we're adopting something that really has never served us. And I even highlighted even the people, in a sense, we got it from, they never even lived it out. So it becomes even more sad, in my opinion. But as you hear Casanova say, you know what, I actually did this backwards. I should have never got into this life. I should have lived like these people who never risked their lives. This is actually the better way to go. So somehow we got to make that cool versus the street life that we're that gets rapped about and talked about all the time. And again, it's not blaming rap. That's not the goal here. But unfortunately, it becomes so cool that you actually have people like in my town choosing that life in a place where it wasn't even necessary to do it. That's just keeping it real. Go ahead, Queen, before we go to the call. Well, you know, my thoughts on that is it's still the same. It'll be, you know, basically redundant because he kind of just said, you know, said some of the same things that I have touched on. So I, I totally agree with what it is that he was saying. Nah, fair enough. Let's go to the caller. Area code 786-LAST-3307. Give us your name, where you're calling from, and your three cents on this morning's discussion. Yeah, you know, it's Rashad again, uh, Montoya. Um, so the, I'm saying the, the street life is like this. Like, I sold drugs. I sold a lot of drugs. I, nobody put a gun in my head and made me sell drugs. And now, if I go in, in the streets to go sell drugs, so looking for money, that's, that's what we go on the streets for. And I go get busted. I go tell on the dude who gave me so many drugs. You th- do you think that's a, that's a right thing to do? No, it's not a right thing to do. Nobody told me to go to the streets. I went on the streets on my own. So, um, yeah, there's some things where uh, if, if you see somebody getting murdered, uh, I heard somebody say uh, the lady getting murdered in the streets, I, you know, um, I would like to know the concept of that. Was it like, was it like um, some, a street dude just murdering somebody? I, I, I don't know all the concept of that, but, if, but at the same time, if, if, a lady, if, a, if a lady or a child gets murdered in the street, they have, just like the mafia before they lost their way, there has to be a sit down with the black people and say, "Hey, this person shot a, a black lady. This person shot this person shot a lady and a child. He he is wrong. We got to do something about him. We have to we have to do we have to punish him. Because when you go to the street, it is a government. Um, a friend is just basically a person who's 
put in policies that that control or affect the people. They control or affect the people. So if a if a person is just a there's there's a such thing as a civilian. If a person just witnessed a murder and he go t- he go tell the police, he's not a street he's not in the street, so he doesn't have to adapt to. He doesn't have to adhere to those policies if the guy was a civilian. You know what I'm saying? But if you go to the streets willingly and you're selling drugs, no, you, you take you take that time. Well, how are you going to go tell on somebody? Like the guy, Takashi 69. That's not right. Because at the same time, this dude is, this dude is from a way for people to make money. And, and the street court was good when, when Bumpy Johnson was doing it in Harlem, running numbers. That was illegal. But he provided a way for black people to eat. It was cool then, though. You know, that's all I got to say about it, you know. I, I mean, there's more I got to say, but I ain't going to hold up everybody in the collar. Yeah, 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 that's nah, saying. You good? You, can, you, can, you good? Yeah, you can't go to the streets, and then when you get busted, you go tell on somebody. See, a lot of people that don't, don't I, I'm not a street dude. I've just been in the streets. You know what I'm saying? I'm not, I've been in the streets, and there is a code. You can't. You know what I'm saying? Um, so there's, you, there's a lot I'll of people talking. Okay, go ahead. I say that we need oh, to make, sure we need to make, yeah, we do need to make, make it cool to, to go provide jobs for people. Like, realistically, if you just in the streets today, somebody going to like, okay, how are we going to get money? And a person is not going to gonna let their tummy ache or... They not, and they still got to feed their family. They're going to find a way to get money. So what are they going to do? Either, either they're going to go to the street or they're going to start robbing some of these white institutions for their money. Hey, you got to give it up. Because I got to eat. There's no way I'm going to watch. Here's another reality. Let me say this to you, brother, if I can. If I can say this to you. Yes, here's another yeah, yeah, reality. Yeah, 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 yeah. I can't think of this. I can't think of the brother that um, runs Gangster Chronicles right now. I can see his face, but I can't think of his name. I don't know if you know him, DeAsia. But he's at the, um, the brother. Um, but anyway, he, he said this one time, and, I, and again, I just respect this coming from someone else, again, never being in the streets. But he pointed this out. He's like, he says, in reality, a lot of people that are in the streets are actually just very lazy. Um, and, very lazy? And, and he was, yep. And, and, and what I mean, and let me tell you what I'm saying here. And so lazy from the standpoint that it's not the, the desperate situation which humans, you know, again if, if, if your belly aching humans, no matter what, typically some humans will, you know, resort to whatever means to feed their bellies. I know you put that out there but the reality is there's aspects of it being some degree some levels of easy money and Sorry the lack that. of responsibility lack of responsibility and so there's a lot of people who are not wanting that responsibility and so there's an aspect of the street life that is people going to do those things and and get involved in the streets and it has nothing to do with necessarily that they're hungry today it just becomes a means to not have responsibility um Deja, can't, you, can't, I, I wish I, I wish I had a cut from the brother that I'm thinking of but have you have you you understand kind of where I'm going mm-hmm. from and again this is me following someone who who says that a lot of his 
fellow gang members are just lazy and they, they choose to live off someone versus actually just going through the steps to get a job and things of this nature. And again, I'm just hearing this from a former gang member who disagrees with a lot of his former gang members living like that. Any thoughts on that, DeAsia? Then I'll throw it back to um, yeah, Chase I, I on, got, the, on the call. I got a thought on that. Let me, let me, let me, let me DeAsia jump in. Let me let DeAsia jump in and then we'll give you a thought, brother. Oh, sorry, ahead, sorry. Okay. Yeah, um, I totally agree with that sentiment because that is a, that is a, the case in a lot of situations where people don't want to go through the process of maybe getting an education or just going to get a job, and so they go and get that easy money, of, and, and that is a real thing. A lot of people, they jump out in the street or they sell drugs and things like that which they really don't have to. It ain't that many situations where it's like the last thing that you got to do is go out there and sell drugs. Um, it's, it's, it's very small cases where that's like the last result, like I got to get out here, I got to get in these streets. Um, that's, that's, that's not the case a lot of times, and I think that is the easy route for a lot of people. All right, any thoughts on that, um, Chase, before we let you go? We've got about a minute before the break. We'll get your last thoughts before we let yeah, you go. That, go ahead, King. Yeah, See, they think kids are dumb. Kids are not dumb. I watched my mom get an education just to get skipped over by, just to get um, demoted or by somebody who didn't have a degree. Kids are not stupid. We see this. So a lot of it is not them being lazy. It's, it's, the, it's them seeing the racism and not being able to tell the parents, like, I see it. I see what's going on. You know what I'm saying? So a lot of them, it's not probably just being lazy. It's like, man, what am I going to do? Go get a job. Uh, you got a lot of people out here that got a degree that came, that's, that's, that's working minimum wage at Burger King. Am I right or am I, either that's, either that's wrong or, either that's wrong or is right. You got a lot of people. Yeah, that's that, right. That, that, you're that, right, but that's an excuse. Ain't, ain't no lot. You're though. right, but that's just an excuse. Ain't no lot. Ain't no lot, though. You know, I'm not no, saying they don't not, exist. I'm, no I'm, keeping around. I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not acting on emotion. I'm here to kick it real. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, there's people. Actually, when I was in, it's easier for me to go work and, and, and just do my job than to be out in the street looking for police. I got to look for jack boys, robbers trying to rob me. I got to get up 3 in the morning to go serve a customer. Is that lazy? How many, how many working people would do that? You know, I'm not, act, I'm not here talking about much. I'm talking about somebody that's on both sides of it. Now and, and I took a lot of that street that street mentality into the into I'm a stock analyst now I'm an electrician and I'm pretty successful, but I, I'm seeing both sides of it. I I have to talk on but I, I'm, I see both sides of it. Do you have people out there that lazy? Yeah. Do you have um, white? There's a lot of there's a lot of white people in in my trade that are lazy just collecting a paycheck. Let me say this to you, Chase. We've only got about a minute or 30 seconds before the break. So what I'll say ahead, to you yeah. is that, that, that what I'm pointing out, because I'm not definitely laying, saying that that's everyone, what I'm saying is even in the drug mm-hmm. game, every industry has go-getters. Like whatever the industry, that includes the street life and the drug game. So you was a go-getter and you made it happen. I, I bet you, and I've seen it, because I know these cats too. Again, my, with my fascination, I used to be around the, the, the gambling houses or whatever, because that's something I would get into or whatever. And so I'm just telling you, you would see people 
you know, it, it, most of the drug dealers ain't doing their thing. There's a few that do, but that's no different than any other industry. Whatever industry you're in, there are the successful ones. You know, even if you want to call it being a successful drug dealer, if you want to use that term, but the majority of the industry is not no. that way, and that's most industry. I'm just saying, so the drug industry, the street game is the same way as all I'm saying. All right, thanks a lot for your call, King, though. Definitely appreciate you. You know we love to do, we uh-huh. love the dialogue. So thank you for calling uh-huh. in, King. We're up against the break. Okay. All right, we'll be right back. Bless. Yeah, no doubt. Thanks a lot, King. Listening to the Mental Dialogue Talk Show, well, all I ask is that you think. We'll be right back. Hey, where did you get that hat and T-shirt? I like that. Oh, I got this at moneymotivation.com. It's fresh, right? Yes, and I love the message on it, too. You are the hustle, huh? That's what the shirt says. I am the hustle. They embody the entrepreneurial spirit, and what I like the most, it's more than a brand. It's a lifestyle for those who want to put in the work and expect to have the final things in life. I also follow them on Instagram. Check this post out. If you believe money is the root of all evil, you're using it wrong? Or how about this one? Excuses made zero dollars an hour. I like those. What's their IG? At moneymotivation.co. But do they have any ladies gear? Yes, you're going to love the clothing line they got for the ladies. Matter of fact, pull up their website, moneymotivation.com, and I'm going to get you a few things so we can both look like money. Everywhere I go, go, and everywhere I be, be, I don't even talk, talk, they still know it's me, because I look like money, smell like money. My name is Montoya Smith, a.k.a. Black Socrates. I am the owner and facilitator of the Mental Dialogue Community Support Group focused on practical solutions and the collective thinking of the black community. We do that one of two ways, every third Friday, 7 p.m. at Urban Grind, or Saturday mornings, the Mental Dialogue Talk Show, 10 a.m. to 12 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Contact us at mentaldialogue.com or on Facebook at Mental Dialogue. All I ask is that you think. First of all, I made the mistake of getting into drug business. That was my first mistake. My next mistake was I went back into the drug business as I said I quit. Yeah. So what he did is he only did what people do in the drug business. They tell. They set you up. And for somebody to go into the drug business and not understand that, which I was in the drug business and didn't understand it, But I came to grips with. Yeah, I mean, just recently in my own personal life, I, I started thinking about all the people I'm upset that, that, that I'm so angry at over various things that have happened to me over the years. And, and I started thinking about how there's one guy I'm so angry at over a fight we got into in high school, and this guy had committed suicide some years later. He's dead, and I'm so angry at him. Wow. And, and and I started thinking like, okay, what's wrong with my head right now? Like, why am I feeling this way over someone who's dead that will, there'll never be any closure? And, and what I realized at that point is that what I needed to do is take a step back and look at every situation and take responsibility for my role absolutely. in all those situations. Not to feel like I was a victim and how this person wronged me for absolutely no reason to say, well, yes, this guy did something to me, but... I, I was actually at fault also. I did these things that led up to it. Absolutely. And, that's and, the way and once I started taking responsibility for my own role, I started to feel less angry at the person and the situation, and it made me feel better as a human. Well, that's really how I got out of prison. 
I got out of prison that same way because uh, once I figured that um, that I wasn't a victim and that I should be in prison for my actions, then I realized that it was my actions that got me in and it could be my actions that get me out. Right. So I started making the steps to, to and it's crazy that I, I just talked to the lawyer who represented me just, just before we got here. And, um, you know, he was asking me uh, about somebody that I was mad at, and I was like, mad at him for what? I ain't mad at yeah. nobody. You know, I don't have anybody in the world that I'm mad at. You know, uh, the first thing, being mad is being out of control anyway. Yeah. You know, I never want to be a mad person. True. Because once you become mad, then you're no longer in control. Yeah. You're just mad. <laughs> Welcome back to the Mr. Dialogue Talk Show. I'm your host, Montoya Smith, a.k.a. Black Socrates, along with special guest co-host DeAsia Robinson. This morning's discussion question, the street life and black culture, is it an unhealthy marriage? As we just heard a cut from Freeway Ricky Ross, the first crack millionaire in the country years ago, who was supposed to spend life in prison, but he was able to get himself out and is doing extremely well right now as we hear him break it down. That hey, you in the drug game? Understand the people in the drug game snitch. That's what they do. And if you're in the drug game and don't understand that, then you are sadly mistaken. And so ain't no codes being held out here when it comes to that. Um, but in reference to just even other aspects, I, I love how uh, he took that responsibility and said it was once he he did that that he was able to move past having the concept of being mad at each other. And I wanted to bring that to the table, Deasia, because when we start talking about what's a part of our culture and we talk about different traumas and experiences, a lot of times a lot of dialogue is those that hate on us or what we're going to do to our ops and things of this nature. And, again, coming out of that street life culture, handling that and doing those type of things, and ultimately it leads to nowhere, but we are adopting those things as a part of our lives as though there can be progress and there is absolutely it leads to nothing. Uh, very rarely does it lead to anything. Your thoughts, Queen? Yeah, that that's absolutely correct. It it doesn't lead to anything at all. And I definitely wanted to speak to what the gentleman was saying that called in as well. And as something that I want to touch on that we have to be very careful about. Um, he was describing the cases where. Uh, people can see their parents struggling and they look at the struggle and they don't want to struggle like their parents. And uh, he was saying that, you know, that's, that's a reason why people get into the streets and things of that nature. I think that is some, I think that is something that could be very toxic when hearing it uh, simply because it's, it still speaks to the sentiment of it being lazy. Right. It, it, it speaks to the sentiment of, you know how, like, some people say we, we don't have, there's no jobs out here, they can't find work, and it's not that they can't find work and there's no jobs, it's that they don't want to do the job that is hiring. Like, they don't want to work at McDonald's. So sometimes you have to work at McDonald's. So the, the opportunities, there's other opportunities and options that's out there, but people don't want to go that route, so they choose to go into the streets. So a lot of times these people are going into the streets not because they necessarily have to. It's because they, it is an easier way out for them. And I think we have to be careful um, in how we 
speak to that because a lot of people hearing that will be like, yeah, you know what? That's absolutely right. I, I saw, I see these people, they getting degrees and they making less money than me. I could make this money. I could make what you making in an hour. Uh, I could make, I could make uh, this in an hour, what you making in a year, that type of thing. And so people got to be careful. Well, we got, and the reason we got to be comfortable because of what we're talking about this morning, the street life and black culture isn't an unhealthy marriage. We have to recognize, as you said, I love that word, how toxic it is to consistently say that. And it's not that, you know, there are not individuals in which that may be the case, but how smart is it when the street life ends one or two ways because we definitely applaud those who get out, but they are the rare and the few. Now, a lot of people, in a sense, leave it alone and to that degree, but I'm talking about the ones that, you know, really live it out and end up making a, a decent amount of money and somehow getting out. It necess- that's an American story that we try to play out, but the reason we play it out and applaud it is because they are so rare because a lot of those who survive it, will tell you how they lost all their money. Or if you look, go, talk, go follow the freeway, Ricky Ross's story. He, he's made all this money back because he has an entrepreneur mind. He doesn't, he has no, no dollars from when he was making a, you know, a million dollars a day or whatever it was. He has none of that money. We actually got another caller that wants to sneak in. Let's get him in. Area code three, one, four, last three, nine, five, three. Give us your name, where you're calling from and your three cents on this morning's discussion. Hey, Montoya, Bianca. I got one quick question. What happens when street drugs become legalized? I don't listen to the answer up here. No, absolutely. That's a good question. Um, I mean, we're starting to see sentiments of it to a degree. Um, um, you know, just even with, like I say, with marijuana and there's Portugal, they, they legalized all of their drugs and it definitely decreased crime. Um, I've never been a huge fan of prohibition. It didn't work well with alcohol and we're definitely seeing a... a, a difference and a lot of states are now starting to adopt it specifically with marijuana I, w- I would encourage anyone out there listening go look up the history for how marijuana even became illegal it's actually a joke uh, we don't have time to go over that here um, but that's a great question my brother Pianchi and so what happens is he's just talking about the actual idea of it being you know the drug game being regulated and how it even takes away quote unquote that being one of the options to make money in the streets um, DeAsia your thoughts um we don't have a lot of time to give full thoughts, so I'm just trying to be quick with it. But any thoughts of, with that question from a brother, Piaki, uh, what's your perspective in the sense that what if America does follow up Portugal, for example, and it becomes eventually more than just marijuana in the future becoming legalized? What do you, what do you think happens to the streets, if you will? I think people people will find different ways to, to um, use like I quote unquote the black market, people still will find different ways uh, to be out in the streets and commit crimes and find ways to capitalize off of. It. So that's 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 not going to change anything. It, it, it's still going to be a street life. So nothing is going to change just because they they legalize it. People people find different ways to do things. So if, if some people want easy money and they're gonna find a way to get them some easy money. So once they start legalizing it, people will figure out some type of way to come behind it and make them some cash off of it as well. So it's not gonna change. I don't think it'll have any, uh, it, it won't change the crime. It won't change people being in the streets to me. I don't feel like it would. 
Come on, fair thoughts again. Yeah, fair thoughts. We only got a couple of minutes. So, Queen, if you will, let people know how they can stay on in contact with you. I got a couple of cuts I'm going to play for the, the end of the show. So, I'm going to go ahead and go go in this thing just a little bit earlier. But if you will, again, I know you are the co host of Locked and Loaded. So, you can let people know how to follow th- follow you. Thank you for helping me get through this morning's discussion question. Go ahead, Queen. Oh, you're welcome. No problem. You can follow me on um, uh, Facebook at DeAsia Robinson, and also every Tuesday at 6 p.m. Central Time, you can find me on Locked and Loaded, which is L-O-C, possibly T, and Loaded, um, along with uh, my host, Kitty Sane. So, and that's on YouTube, Facebook, Periscope, and Instagram. Hey, love it. Thanks again, Queen, for being with us. For everybody out there, if you have a product or service you would like to get out to the smartest audience and all the radio, please contact me directly at 404-604-9477 or on Instagram at mental underscore dialogue or on Facebook at mental dialogue. Also, if you are an individual and like to become a supporter of Intelligent Radio, please go to mentaldialogue.com and become a supporter. I want to thank Chuck Laney as well as Emil Bryant for coming black level members. Um, they will be starting get to get invited to our Mental Dialogue Mastermind, which is an exclusive group that we have. With that said, I'm going to leave you from a shortcut from Casanova two times, who unfortunately is now locked back up, just to even throw that out there. But again, trying to give kids the game since he was in the street saying, hey, y'all think about what y'all are doing. It may not be the smartest thing. With that said, we're gone. All I ask is that you think. And that's why I tell the kids and whoever that I, I run across, like, just be yourself. You know what I'm saying? You don't get paid for being gangster. You can't get paid. Like, the only payment you get in is death or jail. Guaranteed. There's no gangsters get rich and get chubby and move to Miami. You don't go to heaven. That's a lie. You know, it don't matter <laughs> what the preacher says when you're getting buried. Oh, he was a good man. They shot him for no reason. You're going to hell. You're doomed. You're doomed two times. You're finished. 